David encouraged himself. How did he do that? He had to think this. I know that God is good. The God that told Samuel to anoint me with oil is good. I can trust in his character. I can trust in his integrity. Welcome to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire, author and founding senior pastor of the exciting Turning Point Church in Fort Worth, Texas. Pastor Jeff is known for his heartfelt and practical proclamation of the scriptures. We are so glad you joined us today. So stay tuned as Pastor Jeff teaches, encourages, and challenges you from the Word of God. Today we're continuing the message, There's a Pony in Here Somewhere. Last time we began talking about how God really does work all things together for the good of His children, but sometimes we must wait patiently for the final chapter that God is preparing. So let's continue with part two of the message I've called, There's a Pony in Here Somewhere, and let the Word of God encourage you no matter what your circumstances might be. God was still in charge. If he hadn't have believed that, he would have been a worried mess. Wringing his hands about how the world, all this manure getting in my room, in my parents' house, where this comes, something is wrong, something is amiss, things are out of control, what am I going to do? But instead, I want you to say it with me. He believed that they were good. Say it with me. He believed they were good. And he believed they were in charge. Now I want you to say with me, I believe God is good. And I believe God is in charge and that he loves me and wants the best for me. He believed in their love for him and that they were in charge of what came his way. And therefore, he could afford to be optimistic, positive, on top of things, upbeat. In our text, God was telling Habakkuk, yeah, there's an army coming your way. And yeah, you guys have messed up. And yeah, there's all kinds of of issues and problems in your land. But stay with it. Don't quit. Don't despair. The vision is coming. God loves you. He hasn't given up on you. He hasn't walked out on you. He's still got a plan. And he's working out that plan. So lift up your heads and have hope. In other words, Habakkuk was telling them, There's a pony in here somewhere. I want us to try that out because you're going to do it several times today. Are you ready? Let me just start. No matter what you're going through, there's a pony. No matter what your kids are doing, no matter what your marriage looks like, y'all have got it good already. Now, the Bible is full of examples like this, but I want to bring out three men in the Bible who all went through different things and they believed that God was good and that God was in charge, and that God loved them, and that's what brought them through to the other side, holding their pony in their arms. Okay? First one's Abraham, the father of our faith. Now, I would be not telling you the full truth if I didn't tell you that if there were a couple of times in Abraham's life where he did faint. He fainted in his faith and messed up or kind of doubted God, so he was not a perfect man. But Abraham primarily remained optimistic in the face of perplexing timing. Abraham's test was the timing of God, the timing of things. Because you see, God appeared to him and said, I'm going to give you a son. And I'm going to give you this son. And this son 
is going to be the first of your descendants, and through your descendants, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. But for all the nations of the world to be blessed, it's got to begin with you having a son. No son, no blessing, no dream, no vision fulfilled, nothing. You've got to have a son. He's key to everything else. All right, when he received that, he was 75 years old. But God's timing proved to be perplexing. Months stretched into years, which stretched into decades. And that long time gap, folks, was the manure, as it were, that Abraham had to shovel through. That time gap. The time between God's promise and God's fulfillment. There was a long pause. And he had to believe God. He had to believe God during that time. He had to believe in the character of God. And here's what it comes down to. If you listen to the voice of the devil in your mind, he will always undermine and attack the character of God. He doesn't love you. He doesn't care about you. He doesn't answer prayer. He's not in your life. He's looking the other way. He's not dependable. The Bible's not true. You can go through all these things. He'll attack the character of God which is exactly what he did with Eve in the garden. Oh, you don't understand, Eve. God's holding back from you. He doesn't want you to be wise like him. Attack, attack, attack. The only reason that Eve ate that forbidden fruit was because she began to doubt that God was good. So when we say around here God is good all the time, it's not just a little religious slogan. We really mean it. Because you win battles believing God is good. You really do. But that long time gap just began to work on him. Now, during this time, the father of our faith went through some very gut-wrenching experiences. He, he gave up his country, gave up his family, began walking in a direction, not even knowing where he was going. He was just going in the right direction. He just started walking. I trust God. I left my homeland behind, my family behind, and I'm going forward in the call of God, and you know what? I'm doing it because I believe God is good and won't burn me. He parted ways with his nephew Lot. They had a tearing apart in their relationship. And Lot went towards Sodom to his own demise and left Abraham with his wife and some servants and cattle, but still there was a ripping apart of a relationship that really mattered to him during this waiting time. And here's most of all, throughout all these things, the barrenness of Sarah tested his faith daily. Barrenness is when something ought to live and it's not. Something ought to be and it's not. Barrenness is a daily letdown, a daily disappointment. And you can be barren in a lot of ways, not just with wanting a child. You can be barren financially. You can be barren in your marriage. You can be barren with friendships, relationships. You ought to have some friends and you don't. You ought to have some other key relationship in your life and it's suffering, it's not producing, it's not giving, it's barren. And he faced this barrenness. And what really made it difficult was 
He had a promise that she would have a child, and yet daily barrenness stared him in the face. And he was getting old. He was approaching a hundred. Sarah was almost 90. Can I just go ahead and say it? The thrill was gone. Well, these are real people. Their ability to reproduce, have children, was gone. Now, I want you to catch this. But Abraham, the father of our faith, remained optimistic in spite of God's perplexing timing. One of my favorite verses, Romans 4.18. Listen to this. I love this. Even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping. Boy, I like that. He woke up every day and said, honey, how are you feeling? Well, nope, not pregnant. I'm not pregnant. It's not happening. And every single day he looked, his physical eyes looked at why he should quit. Looked at why he should quit hoping. Because she's 90 now, he's 100 In the natural, it's over. They can't produce. And this faced him every day. But the father of our faith said, even though I have no natural reason to hope, I'm still going to keep on hoping. Because my God is not dependent on the natural circumstances of life. Faith, faith is the victory that overcomes the world. And he said, I'm going to keep my eye on the promise of God not on the reasons why I should quit. Oh, I'm talking to somebody today. I know I am. Because some of you are looking at an impossibility. You're looking at something that is dead. You are looking at barrenness, and the enemy is saying to you, why don't you just give up and quit and go home, pick up your marbles and go home and forget about it? Because clearly God is not answering you, and yet God has said to you in your heart, Though it tarry, it shall come. Though it tarry, my vision will still come to pass. Don't give up. Don't give in. It says, even when there was no reason for hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing, believing that he would become the father of many nations. See, the impossibility was God's problem. So you know what he was saying to himself, essentially? Say it with me. There's a pony in here somewhere. Even though, boy, this doesn't look good, even though this doesn't look promising, even though this looks difficult, I believe that God's going to come through and I'm going to hold my pony. So I whistle while I shovel. So he remained optimistic in the presence of perplexing timing. But then there was Joseph. I can't read the story of Joseph without weeping at the end of it every time. Seriously. And I've read it through many times in my life. But every time I get to the end, I tear up. What a story. What a drama. This accurate historical account of the life of Joseph. He was Jacob's son. There were 12 boys representing the 12 tribes of Israel, the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. Joseph was Rachel's son. And she only had two before she died. And the Bible says that Jacob loved Rachel, but not Leah. Leah gave him 10 boys. Rachel gave him two. Joseph was one of the two. And he loved Joseph so much he gave him a coat of many colors, which represents the favor of the father. Fatherly favor. And what Joseph found out real quick is when your father favors you and gives you a coat that testifies that he favors you, don't expect everybody to jump up and shout with you. That's where jealousy comes from when an anointing comes on your life. 
or blessing comes on your life or some door opens to you and it's a marvelous door, a wonderful door. And you go tell your friends, hey, guess what? The father has given me a coat of many colors. I've been favored. Don't expect them to go, oh, praise God. No, the green-eyed monster jumps on more people than not. Really, he gave it to you and not me. Why you and not me? And that was the brothers. And, and Joseph didn't know any better than to tell his brothers his dream. Hey, guys, I had a dream. And I dreamed that all of you were bowing down to me. Can you believe that? And he thought they would say, oh, that's a heavy dream. Praise God. But inside they said, really? Well, let me tell you what we're thinking. We're going to kill you. So his dreams didn't bless his brothers. And as you know, they threw him into a pit. We're thinking about killing him. Ended up selling him into Egyptian slavery. Now he went into Egyptian slavery, into a country he didn't know, a language he didn't speak, a people he wasn't familiar with, customs he didn't recognize. They, the brothers ripped off that coat. That was what they hated. They ripped off that coat of many colors before they sent him down the river. And they killed an animal and spilled animal blood on it. In those days, no DNA, no way to tell if it was human or animal. And they took it to his daddy. Think about this. They took it to Jacob. He said, whose coat is this? He said, well, that's my son Joseph's. And they said, oh, dad, we found it like this, all torn up, and there's blood all over it. And Jacob said, oh, no, a wild animal has torn to pieces my son. And they let him think that for years. That's cruel. Broke his heart. The apple of his eye torn apart by wild animals. But in the meantime, Joseph is down in Egypt. Not only is he betrayed by his brothers, but he's working for Potiphar, who was high up in Pharaoh's kingdom, And Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and lied about him and said he tried to rape her and he was thrown into prison for something he didn't do. So he was betrayed by his brothers and he was betrayed by Potiphar's wife. And here he is down in a prison for something he did not do. He's thinking back to his dad and the beautiful land they lived in and how happy their family had been. And he's longing for those happier days and he opens his eyes and he can't believe he's sitting in an Egyptian prison for something he did not do. Now, most people right then would have said, I'm mad at God, bitter at life. Don't talk to me about God stuff because everything has gone wrong with me, so there can't be a God and he can't be in charge. But I tell you that Joseph leaned on a truth and you know what it was? God is good and God is in charge and God loves me. And if that's not what anchored his soul, then I don't know what could possibly have anchored his soul. He said, God is good. And you know what he said? There is a... Let's try that again. He looked around at the prison. He looked at the stinking conditions. He looked at his ornery brothers. He looked at the lying Potiphar's wife. And still he said, there's a pony. Why did he say that? He said that because I know God is good. And I know the God that called me is good. And I know that God is not only good, but God is in charge. And not only in charge, but he loves me. And says he's good and he's in charge. Somehow, some way, someday, he's going to make all this work together for my good. And there's going to be a pony in my arms. So he said to his brothers when they finally were reconciled with him years and years later, And they thought he was going to order them executed, which he would have been just in doing. 
He said, I'm not going to execute you. I'm going to take care of you. And let me tell you why. Because what you meant for evil against me, God meant it for good to save many people alive. He said, now I see God's plan. I've been made second only to Pharaoh. This land is about to see a seven-year famine. People all over the world are going to die. But I have stored up grain, and I'm going to feed my betraying brothers, and I'm going to feed my daddy Jacob. And in doing so, I'm going to keep the lineage alive that brings forth Messiah. God had a plan. So Abraham persevered through perplexing timing. Joseph through heartbreaking betrayal. There's one more, David. David remained optimistic through prolonged persecution. Prolonged persecution. You know the story of the ripe young age of 17. Samuel called him out of the field. Samuel, the great prophet, who just walked into a room. Everybody shut up and they were terrified. He was so intimidating. The word of God never failed from his lips, the Bible says. So Samuel pays a visit to Jesse's household, and he's looking for the next king because Saul has been disallowed, disqualified. So he says, bring me your boys because the king is somewhere in this house. Seven boys went before him, tall, handsome, charismatic, impressive. And every time the Spirit of God said, not him, not him, 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 or him, or him, or him. Well, then who? Where? He's in the field. Go get him. David's out there. He's been falling in love with God, playing the harp, being prepped by the Holy Spirit to be king, and he didn't even know it. They call him in. He comes in, and here's Samuel. Samuel's got the flask of oil. He says, come here, son. The Holy Spirit said to Samuel, there's the king, anoint him. He dumps that oil on his head. It poured down his hair, poured down his beard, poured down his clothing, anointed him with enough oil to slide him into the next room. It was anointed to be king. Well, after that, you would think life would go great. But no, no. Well, at first, Saul received him into the royal palace. The people of Israel fell in love with him. Well, that makes sense. I'm the next king. Saul's son, Jonathan, became his very best friend, so he had a real inside track. But then the women of Israel came out with a top 40 hit song. And it went like this. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Remember what I told you about that coat of many colors? The coat of favor? It was sitting on David, and the green-eyed monster rose up in Saul. It says, from that day forward, David became Saul's enemy. Saul turned the entire kingdom against David through false accusation. He went from a hero to a zero the song that said Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands, change. And the song went, don't let your son grow up to be like David. He made David number one on the Israeli most wanted list. David had to flee. He marshaled his troops. Saul did. Marshaled his troops to search for him day and night. The Bible says that David lived in the open fields and in caves, in the wilderness, never knowing if this day would be his last day, he slept with one eye open because Saul, a very capable, competent man, was on the hunt for him day and night and night and day. It got so bad he sought refuge in the very king of the Philistines whose champion, Goliath, David had killed. He's defected in a moment of terrible personal judgment and a drop in his faith. 
David had even been willing to go with the Philistines against his own people, but the Philistine generals would not allow it. David was willing to go with the Philistines in battle against Israel, but God stopped it so that it would not hinder him from becoming king. He did not allow him to make a fatal mistake. Dejected, rejected, David said to his men, let's go back to Ziklag where they've been staying. As they journeyed back to Ziklag, we read that there was a curl of smoke wafting into the air. Their hearts began to pound. They thought, oh no, oh no, oh no. They knew what a destroyed city looked like. And as they drew near, they saw that it was totally burned to the ground and their wives and children and all their goods were kidnapped by the wicked Amalekites. And David fell on his face and to make matters worse, he lifted up his eyes and and saw his men standing there holding stones and they were talking about stoning David. We're so sick of following this guy where all we encounter is these problems and these troubles and these letdowns. It couldn't have gotten worse, but then it says, and I love this, David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Now let me ask you a question. How did he do that? The Bible didn't tell us what he said, but I know what he had to think. He had to think this. I know that God is good. The God that told Samuel to anoint me with oil is good. I can trust in his character. I can trust in his integrity. And I also know that he's in charge. So knowing that he's good and he's in charge, even though it couldn't look worse out here, you talk about manure, you talk about negative circumstances, what else could have gone wrong with him up to this point but this? But he encouraged himself, the Lord is God, and then when he encouraged himself, he said, God, shall I go and attack the Amalekites? And God said, go and attack them, for you will recover everything. You will get everything back. He stood up and said, man, put those stones down and let's go. And they went and they attacked the Amalekites and defeated the Amalekites, rescued their wives and children, got everything back. And within a few short weeks, he was made king of Israel. Now, these three men all received their pony in the midst of trial and trouble. Abraham's pony was Isaac, and he held him. He watched him grow. Watched got to know his grandchildren. His pony was Isaac, the child of promise. Joseph's pony was his God dream fulfilled. David's pony was the throne of Israel. Going through a valley and going through a trial. What brought them through it to the other side? Say it with me. God is good. God is in charge. And he loves me. There's a pony in here somewhere. Well, that's it for this time. I hope you enjoyed the message and that you've been encouraged today by God's Word. And be sure to join me again next time as we begin a new life-changing message entitled, Three Signs of a Thankful Heart. Until then, I pray God bless you richly, and now stay tuned for some very important messages from our announcer. Today's program is entitled, There's a Pony in Here Somewhere. You can get a copy of this message for just $5 plus shipping. Log on to lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. 
Get your own copy of today's message for just $5 plus shipping by logging on to lifetalkradio.us or calling us toll-free at 877-884-3111 for more information. Hi, this is Pastor Jeff Wickwire, and I am so excited to announce that Turning Point Church will be launching Reach Bible College and Seminary this November. Whether you've been in ministry for years or you're just getting started, Reach Bible College and Seminary will help you reach your goals. Our affordable bachelor and master degree programs are designed to incorporate practical ministry alongside a sound theological education. Why wait until you finish your education before starting your ministry? We're now enrolling for the winter trimester that begins November 28th. For more information, visit our website at www.reachdfw.org. That address again is www.reachdfw.org. You can also visit our information table before and after any of our weekly services at Turning Point Church. You've been listening to Life Talk with Dr. Jeff Wickwire. To find out more about Dr. Wickwire's ministry and Turning Point Church, visit us at lifetalkradio.us or call us toll-free at 877-884-3111. That's 877-884-3111. And as a reminder, Life Talk is a listener-supported ministry. We exist to bring God's Word to thousands of people in your area on this great station. So your prayers and financial support go a long way in helping us with this endeavor. Please prayerfully consider helping us. Thanks again for listening today, and we look forward to meeting with you once again on our next Life Talk broadcast.